Everyone, welcome back to Climate Transformed. This is one I've been looking forward to for, for quite a long time. Stephen Hilfarer and I we had the pleasure of meeting at a dinner in New York four months ago, I think it was, Stephen, and we sort of started a conversation around doing this interview with S2G to talk about what I would argue is one of the most influential. It's wrong to call you early stage. It's wrong to call you venture capital. It's wrong to call you project finance people because you do all of the above. The influence of S2G and, and builders as seeding and, and funders of some of the most influential climate companies out there, Sweet Green, Brimstone, they come to mind. There's 70-odd 70, 70 others that, that Stephen will talk about over the course of the next 55 minutes or so. But Stephen Feilhauer is the is an MD at, at S2G. He, Stephen, correct me if I'm wrong, you look after the Renewable Energy right. Group. And we're here today to sort of talk about sort of S2G's evolution, the sort of the coming together of of builders and S2G, which has been around, correct me if I'm wrong, since 20 since 2014. It is incredibly influential both in terms of the company it invests in, but also thought leadership around the, the about around impact investing. Steph, thank you so much for joining us. Again, we've been trying to get this done for a for a little bit now and it's great to have you on board. I know you've got a presentation to share. So if you wouldn't mind dive in. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. And it's a real pleasure to be speaking to all of you this morning or this afternoon, depending on where you are. As Paul said, my name is Stefan Palaur. I'm, I'm the MD and the co-head of the Clean Energy Fund, and we're part of S2G Ventures. And so what I wanted to do over the next 15 minutes is really just give you a bit of an overview of the platform, give you a bit of an overview of the Clean Energy Fund, uh, some of the themes, some of the portfolio companies, and then really look forward to diving into some of the questions. So what is S2G? S2G is a platform that's looking to invest in a humane and healthy planet. The platform got started back in 2014 on the food and agriculture side. And this is really what, you know, where, where S2G is, is most famous for and has made some really breakthrough investing in companies like Beyond Meat and Sweet Green and, and, and a few others. But S2G is really, really much more than, than just a food and ag platform. And so in, in 2020, an oceans and seafood platform was added. And then I had the real honor of being appointed co-head of the clean energy platform pretty much exactly a year ago to the day. We got launched in September of 2021. And a few months before that, a real asset platform was, was launched as well in 2021. My comments today is really on the clean energy uh, piece of the business. But I will also mention the, the real asset part of it because both the, the clean energy equity fund and the real assets fund invest in, in, in energy transition companies. And that's, that's where I spend most of my time. Um, so what do we do? It's really pretty simple. We invest holistically with a systems approach. So thinking about not only what is, what is the problem at hand, but what is the overall system around that and how can we influence that? We back and support trailblazing entrepreneurs, of course. They're, they're the ones that are front and center of everything what we do. But then also we, we look to act as a hub, bringing together diverse partners and really doing a little bit of thought leadership as well and helping to catalyze companies as they come together. So what is our objective on the clean energy side? It is to accelerate the transition to the clean energy, low carbon economy if we want to mitigate the worst impacts of, of climate change. Nothing nothing earth shattering there but just to give you just just to orient you so we're we're a 300 million equity focused fund we invest ticket sizes of 10 to 50 million over the past year we've done eight investments 
we do have a global mandate, which in practice means that it's sort of North America and Western Europe. Even over the short period of time, we've we've been able to to bring together some some co-investors and and a strategic network. The I mentioned the Real Asset Fund, and so the the Real Asset Fund sits alongside the Clean Energy Fund. That fund is bigger, but has just gotten refreshed with another three hundred million of new capital. So we're investing out of both of these vehicles in the in the energy transition world. What are some of the the macro trends? I mean, you, you will all know this, so I'll zoom through this quite quickly. Climate change is a thing, and it's accelerating. You only need to look outside all of the hot temperatures that we've had in the U.S., the flooding, coastal fires all around the world. And so what are we doing for that is really about mainstreaming clean power. Everybody understands that solar and wind is a good idea. The question is really how can we get clean power into into industry and, and how can we make this the default option? And so really what we're looking to do is taking energy beyond just the power sector. And you'll see this in, in sort of our, our, our focus areas. So power obviously is, is the core of, of what we're doing. Renewable energy, I think is folks, folks understand that pretty well. The second piece of the strategy is, is really mobility. And so cleaner vehicles coming in all shapes and sizes. People love talking about electric vehicles and, and Teslas and, 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 and they're very important, but there's also lots of other classes of, of, of vehicles and lots of other classes of mobility that need to electrify, that need to become cleaner. The third piece is, is really around the built environment. If you look at just how much of carbon emissions is accounted for by, by emissions from, from buildings, it's really quite staggering. And so you can't really think about clean energy holistically if you don't think about the built environment. So that is something that we're considering as well. And then importantly, also evolving manufacturing and industrial processes. You can speak to some to some industrial providers in in Germany right now that are struggling to get enough natural gas for their processes. So decarbonizing industrial processes is, is something that's actually very, very hard to do. The, the DOE just put out a, a the decarbonization of industry roadmap. It's a tome. It's like 250 pages. This is where all the hard stuff is happening. We're also a proud founding member of Breakthrough Energy's Catalyst program, for example, that's, that's looking to address some of these things as well. So there's some really meaty and thorny problems at hand that will require uh, lots of smart people and importantly, uh, lots of capital. Uh, and so this is this is part and parcel of our strategy. And so then really bring this all together. What are sort of some of our the pillars of our thesis and how do we go to market? Why do we think? How are we different? And it's really three things. One, we're very excited about what we call intersector seams. So sort of thinking about what are these touch points between the different industries? Where does energy touch mobility? Where does energy touch the built environment? Where does energy touch the industrial world? Um, those are areas that for us are really interesting because one of the things that, that we find is that you know a lot of these big, big pieces of the economy tend to operate in a quite siloed fashion. If you're a big industrial company, you talk to your industrial networks, you're in your industrial industry associations, but you're you're not necessarily thinking thinking across across your silos. And, and we actually think that there is a lot of really interesting investment opportunities when you're looking at what what's happening on the on the energy transition side, on the clean energy side, and how that can be translated into other sectors. 
Capital flexibility is one thing that, that I think we pride ourselves in. I've already told you we're investing out of two segments, one being the energy bucket, one on the, on the equity side, and one being the real asset side. This is really something that's born out of, out of my personal experience working at Macquarie, working at, at a few other institutions before that, is that investors love to come to market and they say, okay, I'm even early stage venture investor. So, so this is what I do. And, and so every problem sort of needs to fit into that category. That's not really how the world works. When you talk to entrepreneurs, when you talk to companies, they say, well, I need some equity for this. I need some project finance for that. I need maybe some mezzanine debt around that. You know, I, I want these entrepreneurs focused on winning in their business and delivering for their customers. I don't want them to focus on, oh, who do I need to talk to? Do I need, who's an infrastructure investor and who's like a growth equity investor and how does debt fit into all of this? We really like to take quite a flexible approach in terms of our capital. And therefore we play across some of these forms of capital where historically you would look at us and you would say, well, who are you? Are you a late stage venture fund? Are you a growth equity fund? Are you an infrastructure fund? Are you a project finance fund? And the, the answer is yes. <laughs> and, and I think we can, we can do that because we've got a, a, a unique LP structure behind that that allows us to do all of that. And then I've already talked about the systems approach. Regulation and, and policy are obviously very, very core components because the energy sector sort of has monopolistic effects to it. It's a commodity sector. And I'm sure we're going to talk about the IRA, but obviously regulation and policy plays a very, very fundamental part to just how the energy and the clean energy transition works. And so you need to be quite smart around that. And you really need to think about what are some of these evolving market structures? How's technology impacting this? How are business models working together? And also what innovation is happening on the financing side, right? Like if you look at renewable energy and you want to put some solar on your roof, there's now companies that that allow you soup to nuts with financing, with O&M, like lots of very sophisticated offerings. And I'm dating myself here now. When I got started in this industry a while ago, there's nothing like that, right? And so, so it's fantastic to see a lot of the innovation come through and, and tech playing a very important role in this overall. So just to put a little bit of meat on the bones, there's some sample subsectors that we've put down. And, and like I said, we've invested in in eight companies so far. Obviously, no, nobody has favorite children, but it just gives you a little bit of a flavor of what's in our portfolio, anything from carbon capture sequestration, community solar. We've got a big renewables development platform that we're going to officially announce probably in the next week or so. On the industrial side, Cargomatic, which is a two-way marketplace focused on, on the logistics and supply chain side. Brimstone Energy, which is a, a green cement company, Electric Hydrogen, which is a green hydrogen company, the Steel, which is another company that's coming out of stealth very soon, and then Orange EV, which does fully electric industrial yard trucks. So it's it's really it's really quite a broad overview, as you can see. There's some software companies, there's some hardware companies, there's some services companies. The transition to to a clean energy future is really what holds this all together and how this all makes sense. Then again, you can't get it done without without a, a fantastic team, and so we've been we've been incredibly fortunate that Frank and I got started a, a, a year ago, and and we've been able to recruit free from from Stone Peak, Gokul from Fidelity, and, and Hillary from a renewables developer, and and and, and Michaela is making sure that that we, we we do what we're supposed to do. So it's it's been a fantastic journey. And then just to finish, wanted to talk a little bit about what we call the platform team. 
So obviously what we do is we invest dollars, but we're hoping to to also be a little bit more than than just capital. And so there's there's really four four things. One, we've got a network of advisors. In fact, I'm meeting with one of them right after this after this webinar. These are really experienced former CEOs, board members that have really deep networks of experiences and come into our portfolio companies either on some special projects or just sort of doing some some coaching with the management teams. We we have a deep network of investors. You know, obviously SDG has co-invested with over 450 investors over, over the past decade or so, including a bunch of corporates, which I think is, is quite interesting as well, industry networks, and then just sort of the community of portfolio companies. And we're obviously in the early stages on the clean energy side, but on the food and ag side, this is I've sort of seen this as a, as a really powerful community for, 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 for management teams to come together to share some best practices and to gossip about the S2G team as well. So, so what do we do? We've got a whole variety of offerings around operational excellence, operating improvements. Think about sort of operating partner style that you see in, in the private equity world. Talent development. We've got a fantastic head of people. We've got a bunch of, of recruiting agencies on retainer. Growth is always a topic. Everyone's always struggling to attract and retain talent. You know, so we have some offerings around that. Then capital markets as well. That was obviously a very hot topic when, when everyone was looking to SPAC. Uh, but just how do you raise capital? How do you think about building a syndicate? Who do we know that we can bring in? And then the last three sort of influencing community and content. We have a fantastic marketing and comms team. We've got a bunch of of advertising agencies on on retainer that that can help companies think through product launches and 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 how, how do they engage with their customers? Corporate development, which is always interesting. Right now, actually, in this market. A lot of our portfolio companies are looking at M&A, are looking at consolidation. And so corporate development is really important. And then last but not least, on the policy inside, we've got, got a variety of policy advisors on retainer. And we share some of these insights with our portfolio companies as well. So it's just something that, that we're, you know, where we can be helpful beyond, beyond the greenness of the dollars that, that we bring together. So what do we like to do? We like to listen, learn, test and iterate, incubate and launch. And this is not something that I do. Here are the senior leaders of our platform team that talk about all these different things. They become part and parcel of our post-closing process. They're the ones that have a lot of experience doing all the hard work. And so we have quite an integrated approach of the platforms team and the investments team. And so that's really it. If you've got an exciting company and you're looking for, for growth capital, come talk to us. We, we always love hearing from, from folks. I'll leave it at that. Thank you very much. Stefan, thank you very much. So we can so we can start our conversation. That would be so much to unravel here. So we heard a lot about the firm. The one piece of commonality that you and I had—I don't think you started your career at Macquarie like I did—but we both we both had a stint there. May talk a little bit about sort of how you came to S2G. I think that for those, there's probably a few people out there who don't know about Macquarie per se, but Macquarie has a, a reputation of being one of for many, many years, one of the more sophisticated infrastructure investors that's been out there. May talk a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Yeah, happy to. So as you can probably tell from my weird name and accent, I'm, I'm, I don't hail from this, from this country. I'm German originally. Nobody's perfect. And so grew up in Berlin, studied engineering. And then actually my first job was at Goldman Sachs in London and really got into, into sustainability and, and solar and renewable energy. This was back in the day, carbon trading in the, in the EU was just starting. 
and it sort of dove dove head in head in first. This was back in the day when solar the solar industry was still dominated by German companies and by German engineers. So I'm really dating myself here, <laughs> which was a fantastic way to learn. And then came to the US actually for graduate school, which is actually where, where I met my, my partner, Frank O'Sullivan. And, and then after grad school, they wanted to stay in, in the US for a year or two before going back to Europe. And then sort of life happened. So, so I'm finding myself 15 years later, still, still in, in, in the US. Started working at Deutsche Bank in a buy-side team, uh, investing in renewable energy development platforms. Actually spent two years in Singapore uh, with Deutsche Bank. So, so got a little bit of a, of a taste of the Asian markets as well and investing there, which is really was, was a fascinating experience. And then came back to New York and then spent about six and a half years at Macquarie. And Macquarie, as, as you said, Paul, is an infrastructure investor. I was doing the balance sheet investing there. And really started a little initiative there around investing in what we called energy tech and infrastructure tech companies. So really companies that are looking to use tech-enabled systems, you know, and, and really bring the energy of the infrastructure world out of the old world into the new world. Because if you think about it, right, like Henry Ford would probably still recognize an internal combustion engine vehicle, right? Like, I mean, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of changes, but but really the, the built environment, the infrastructure world hasn't really changed very much. And, and the and the culture, for obvious reasons, is, is very conservative and very slow moving. And so we back companies, electric vehicle charging, using drones for inspections, a clean water company, like lots of different companies that were that were quite exciting. This was Macquarie has a DNA of, of trying things early, but really bringing that spirit of entrepreneurship into the energy space and the infrastructure world was really was really quite exciting. And then the opportunity arose here to expand the S2G platform with a clean energy fund. That was really something that was super exciting. Reunite with a with an old grad school buddy of mine, and so so that was that, that was an opportunity I couldn't say no to. Great. Talk a little bit about S2G is an amalgamation of, of several sort of vehicles. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the the thought process of bringing these vehicles together, right? Because yeah. when you, as you said, you've had the food, the food and ag sciences funds been around since 2014. 14, right? yeah. And obviously you've got the, now the, sea, the, the oceans and seafood vehicle, your renewables vehicle. Why bring this all together under the yeah. one umbrella? And can you just, for people who don't know, can you explain what Builders was to the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, 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 happy to. Yeah, so happy to. So Builders does really three things and it's, it's an impact-focused platform, but it's sort of profit profit first with, with impact in the background. And so there's there's really three things that, that our LP really cares about. And one is... Really doing good work on the on the philanthropy side, so that's that's a big part of of what Builders Vision does is philanthropic interests across clean energy, across food and ag, across oceans, and then there's a, a fund of funds piece of the organization. So Builders is actually a very large investor in in clean tech funds, has been for over a decade. There's some real some real longevity in backing the industry overall, and then S2G is really the brand that brings together all the direct investing vehicles, and so. Like you said, Paul, it started out with food and ag and expanded to oceans and to energy. Because really, when you come to think of it, a lot of these, this comes back to this concept of systems thinking, right? Like a lot of these things really, there's a lot of interdependencies. And if you're thinking about something like climate change, which our earth is, is a dynamic system, 
you really need to think holistically about this. So it was made a lot of sense to expand the remit to basically start adding adding separate sectors. And look, it's it's a discussion that we're having right now as well about launching incremental platforms, maybe beyond these three sectors. And the fact that we have the real assets platform as well that can invest debt or mezzanine or, or sort of other forms of project finance capital, the scaling of, you know, of all of these different sectors is something that, that we're following quite actively. Got it. Like we talk a little bit about sort of extend that and talk a bit about capital flexibility. Mm. There is a reason historically why growth equity was one thing, early stage was another, yeah. project finance was something else. It's because they are different target markets, different performance different performance metrics, different different risk profiles, et cetera, et cetera. Talk a little bit about how you bring all of that together and what are some of the risk profiles that you think yeah. about when you are assessing each one of those stages in the financing process. Yeah. So so we take a little bit of a of a barbell approach. So if you think of the portfolio and the, the portfolio construction, the way that we approach it is call it 50 to 70% of the capital is, is going to be allocated to late stage growth equity. Those are really companies where there isn't a whole lot of technology risk anymore. And the, the uses of funds is really scaling and scaling into adjacent markets, scaling into new, into new regions. And this market, some, some consolidation as well, improving operating efficiency through M&A or sort of organic growth. Because that's really where a lot of the scaling of, of the clean energy transition will, will happen in, in, in our view. And then the, the other part of the barbell is really early stage technology. And that's some call it deep tech or, or climate tech. There's very many monikers out there, but it's really thinking about some, some technologies that, that if they succeed, have the opportunity of really, really changing the trajectory of certain industries. And so we have steel. We've got on the on the uh, on the green steel side. We've got electric hydrogen on the on the green hydrogen side. We've got brimstone on the on the green cement side. Those are those are really technology platforms that 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 can really make a big step change. And then the third piece of it, which is sort of the arc that takes the the technology into the growth equity side, is really on the on the renewables development platform. And we have two platforms. One is a renewables platform, which we will unveil here shortly. It's a top-class management team. They've been at this many, many times. The name will be very familiar to people in the industry. We're very excited and humbled to be to be the institutional partner of that platform. And then the other one is is Carbon America, which is a CC like a CCS platform. And so there again, really, what you need is is project finance, right? It's, it's just lots and lots of capital, debt, mezzanine, equity, but you're really scaling something that's that's pretty well known. And so that's really how, how we go to market and say, rather than having these founder teams having to worry too much about how to slice and dice their capital structure, we can help them do that. So on the, on the renewables platform, on, we have a community solar platform as well, Common Energy. In both of those deals, we actually invested both equity dollars into the Topco, and then we set up an SPV to really help scale the product. And we did that with the with the real asset fund, and so that capital flexibility is, is something that we really love doing. We can bring in other investors along the way, right? Like we're we're talking a lot with infrastructure funds, we're talking a lot to lenders, we're talking to growth equity funds, and we're talking to other venture funds because it's really like this should be up to us, the finance dudes. We can we can figure out the paper pushing, right? Like and how you want to call it, 
and have the entrepreneurs really focus on, on, on delivering great outcomes. And if you really think back to what's been happening in the energy transition overall, you really have seen the sophistication of capital that's coming that's coming to the forefront, right? Like one of the reasons why Cleantech 1.0 was such a disaster was you had a lot of early stage venture funds that were investing into very capital intensive projects that because they're commodity markets have very low returns, but the cost of capital was too high. And so there was a huge mismatch there. Whereas now, fast forward to today's market, people always ask me, why is today different? What have you learned from Cleantech 1.0? And trust me, I've learned a lot, or let's say I've got a lot of scars on my back. It's really bringing different different flavors of capital together, right? And and using project finance, using infrastructure money for, for scaling these projects where there's no more technology risk, using equity for really the high growth piece and for the more riskier technology bets. And mate, does it make it, does it, can we assume then that from the project finance side of things, that tends to be the most capital intensive of the, of the areas you were talking about? Is that where you're most likely to partner with private debt firms, even commercial banks on project finance or green bond issuance surrounding that sort of thing? And how do you think about an opportunity around sort of the capital intensiveness of the, of the opportunity itself? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And you're absolutely right. And when you think about the scaling of the of the clean energy transition, it, it really requires a lot of a lot of the capital markets and a lot of the banks. You guys all know this. There's very many different projections of of how much we need. One of the reports that I read recently talks about what is the annual investment need for for green capex, right? And and people, the the estimate of that financial institution there was about three trillion three trillion dollars is needed every single year. In green capex, right now, a trillion per year is coming from existing companies today. Six hundred billion per year from public companies, three hundred from private companies, and then these companies can probably double what they're doing to get you to two trillion per year. But then we're still short about another trillion a year, right? And so people talk about the IRA at three hundred sixty billion over ten years, and that look and that's fantastic, and that's absolutely needed. But we're talking an order of magnitude more capital every year instead of over 10 years. So just the sheer scale of it is really mind-boggling. And that's not something that you can do with venture capital. It's not something that you can do with infrastructure funds only. You really need the entire spectrum of commercial banks, of, of capital markets, bond markets. This is an all-hands-on-deck situation here, right? We're going to need to put like a trillion per year into renewables. 600 billion into energy efficiency, 300 billion into the electrification of mobility and industry, 100 billion into low emission fuels, 100 billion into CCUS. Like it, it's sort of great that that we're investing out of out of a fund here and there's some funds that are significantly larger than than we are, but all of us together we're just a drop a drop in the ocean, right? Like the 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 size and the magnitude of this of what needs to happen is just so big and the energy complex, right, is, is just so big that we really need everybody to chip in here. Brings up, look, a very, I think a very good point, and your German background notwithstanding, we're seeing the energy transition in Europe, I'll be extremely polite, say, get screwed up royally before our very eyes for a, for a slew of reasons. And it's, it's very easy for us to sit back and say, oh, this is Putin's fault for holding back natural gas. But there are structural impediments, Germany going off, off nuclear energy post-Fukushima and a few of these 
sort of things. The point you were making were there with sort of this all hands on deck approach. How do you think about the influence of public policy in this mix? And if this is going, if this transition is going to be dominated by the private sector with in conjunction with government, how confident can we be that we will invest in the right things to allow us to meet, say, for example, Paris goals and, and the like? Yeah. Look, it's a really good point. In, in the three trillion, by the way, this is to sort of reach the net zero commitments, right? It's hand in hand. You got to work hand in hand. And whenever policy gets involved, whenever governments get involved, it's it's tricky sometimes, right? And that's why we're also spending a lot of time on understanding what these policies are doing, influencing on the on the government on the policy side, just to make sure that government stakeholders are thinking about all the intended and unintended consequences as you're going into the politics and decision making. And look, it's it's going to be hard because as a world, we're in trouble. We have eight more years to get us onto a different trajectory and, and climate's getting hotter, flooding's happening. There's lots to do, right? And so the urge, I think everybody understands the urgency. It's just a question of how do you bring this all together? So really the way that we do it is we're a member of a bunch of industry associations. We partner with other investors. I, like I said, we're a founding member of the, of the Breakthrough Energy Catalyst Program that really looks to bring together some, some, some private sector actors around four key technologies in in the energy transition space. It's really just engaging on all of these fronts and making sure that all the government policies are being as as helpful uh, as they can and there's no no unintended consequences of it. It's it's a very important piece of, of the overall energy transition puzzle, that's for sure. Yeah. Like we talk a little bit about what are what are my pet peeves in all of this is that when I talk to a VC or you listen to a podcast and they make the, the, the proclamation, we won't invest in anything that won't extract a gigaton worth of carbon in the in the future. And I, I, I tend to roll my eyes when I when I hear those those sort of statements. Because if you look at I, I'm not a big believer in these these sort of all-encompassing solutions, right? So if you look at the global supply chain, if you look at the decarbonization of industrial processes, which yep. is front and center with what you're doing, yep. I don't see them as trillion-dollar opportunities, but I see them as hundreds of billion-dollar opportunities, which is really exciting, right? Tell me how you think about those two things, scale versus niche when you're investing in in any stage, early stage or project financing. Yeah, it's it's a really good point. I think the other way of how we're thinking about it is are you looking at sort of world-changing technology bets or are you looking at incremental changes, right? And I think, and it's it's the answer is obviously all of the above. But some of the earlier stage tech venture companies that we've backed, they're really gunning for significant technology changes that are real step changes in the function of, of certain industries. And you're absolutely right. You really need to go industry by industry, right? And especially on the on the decarbonization of the industrial world, I mean, this is... These are not sexy topics, right? Like these are not, it's not as headline grabbing as some of the other ones. Requires really hard work. And there's lots of existing players that, by the way, have spent billions and trillions of dollars of fixed assets and are, are, are focused on getting a return on capital on that as well. And so really what we're doing is, is looking for these incremental opportunities in some of these hard to decarbonize sectors. I mean, let me just give you one example of of the most recent investment that we did, we invested in a company called Orange EV. They are a fully electric industrial yard truck manufacturer. I mean, 
look, it doesn't get less sexy than, I mean, I think it's super exciting, but I mean, industrial yard trucks, right? Industrial yard trucks, and there's thousands getting sold every year in, in the US alone. They're all diesel, right? And they, they, they're hugely polluting. They're actually very bad for the people that drive them because of all the noise and the vibration. And there's a better solution out there. So it's really just a question of, well, we, we, we have the solution. Companies been around for over a decade. They have blue chip customers. It's really fantastic. And now it's really just a question of how do we do more and how do we do this faster? And, and, and that's a very, it's, it's a very incrementalist approach for every one of these vehicles, for every fully electric vehicle where you're replacing a, a diesel vehicle, not only is it is it cheaper for the customer to do that because fuel is so expensive and these bloody diesel trucks break down all the time, like it's it's also it's the right decision for the planet. But at the end of the day, the decision is going to be driven by what is the right economic decision for that actor. And so we're always looking for these opportunities where it's just good business to do this because that's really what's going to drive very quick adoption. And then in situations where where there still is this green premium, right, that, that people talk about, the question is, what can we do to, to shrink that green premium? And so that's, for example, why we're, why we're part of the Catalyst program, where we're really looking to attack these four industries in this instance around green hydrogen, long-duration storage, sustainable aviation fuels, and direct air capture. And how can we bring these technologies to market because there, there, there's some real, some real work needed there as well. But it's, it's, it's a mix. It's a mix of all of it. So, mate, just, just stick with Orange EV for a second. I, I can only assume that Orange EV is part of the platform that, the, that they, that you're helping them out. So, how? Let's use a, sort of a real world example of how the platform is helping Orange EV scale, scale its, its business, right? Because I can only assume, like a lot of industrial companies like that, that they, you know pre-funding phase, they weren't overly sophisticated in terms of their, their marketing and sales process and stuff like that, which obviously that's one of the great advantages of taking VC money is that they can introduce processes into companies that can help them grow. Talk a little bit about practically what you've done with Orange yeah. in terms of their growth. Yeah, what's actually happening. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. And so this is very recent investment. There's still lots to do. The reason why they raised the round is that they can significantly increase the manufacturing, the manufacturing footprint that they have because they just have so much demand for, for their trucks that they, they actually have a hard time coming, fulfilling all the orders. Yeah. And so we've, we've hired an, an outside engineering firm to help them think through how to actually design the building and find the right building. We've helped them on the marketing side because obviously getting some incremental capital into the business. And this is a founder-owned business that really hasn't taken any institutional capital in. Huge testament to the team for bringing the company this far without outside capital. And so now it's really just a question of, okay, well, how do you go to market? How do you talk to all the, the big logistics companies that, by the way, are already their customers and inform them of, hey, here's the offering and you should be buying more of this. And by the way, you should be thinking about going into adjacent markets there's another discussion that we're having with them is how do you actually go to market right now? This company is, is selling trucks. It's a one-time sale. There's actually a lot of people that, that would like to, to lease these vehicles. There's companies that want to rent them. There's companies that want to have them as a service. Now that requires a certain balance sheet and a certain way of being able to be a, a partner on that. And so that's something that, that we're actually helping them think through right now, as well as putting them in touch with some of our other operating partners season industry execs that can partner with these folks and think about business development opportunities. Got it. 
Where are the gaps, the technology gaps in clean energy right now? Again, I, go, I keep harping back to what's going on in Europe and how the, the energy prices being 10 times what they are in the US and the whole issues of energy poverty that we've heard all about. So obviously, there's, there is some technology gaps in renewables in terms of storage and the like. But when you, when you sit down and think about the opportunity sets in the next five years for the companies you want to invest in, what, where are the technology gaps that you're focused on? Yeah, it's a really good point. And look, there's lots of different ways of answering this. I think there's on the technology side, you look at some of the some of the companies that we've backed, green steel, you look at technologies in green hydrogen, you look at technologies in green cement. Those are really, really big technological changes that are going to be required to drive the industrial process. The one other thing that I think people don't really talk about as much this is a huge bottleneck for renewables. It's just the grid and the lack of transmission and the move from sort of a very centralized transmission to a, to a decentralized world. If you look at, this is US data here, if you look at like the US transmission, this transmission is grow, growing at a, like a glacial pace, right? It's like 2% per year since the 1970s. Well, we've as an economy, we've grown a lot more than that. As a population, we've grown much more than that. We need to do 5x what we've been doing. And so why is it so hard? Well, it's hard because the federal government isn't using eminent domain rights. Interconnection queuing process is is completely overwhelmed. Supply chain issues, everybody knows about these things. There's these things that just blocking and tackling some of these inherent system frictions and system issues that are really, really holding back the clean energy transition. And so, of course, there's technological changes there's a lot of white space in, in these different areas. But I think a really important thing is also to just like, let's just, let's just be honest about what is the system, what is sort of the, the infrastructure that's in front of us today. And, and there's some real shortcomings. Grid modernization is a topic everywhere. I mean, it's in Central Europe, it's the same issue, right? There's lots of hydro in Scandinavia, but there's not enough transmission to bring it all the way into Southern Europe. There's fantastic opportunities for solar in Northern Africa, but there isn't the big cable to bring it into Europe. Well, there are some people working on that, but same thing about Australia, right? I'm thinking about green power and hydrogen and creating like a big superhighway from, from Australia into parts of Southeast Asia. There's these sort of very fundamental plumbing issues that we have that we need to address as well. And that could actually have hugely important consequences in terms of driving forward the clean energy transition. And that's before you you think about all these things about distributed energy grids and virtual power plants and putting putting the, the generation to the edge of the grid. So there's there's lots of these different things where it's, you know, we're not waiting for for breakthrough technology. And there's not really that silver bullet that, oh, if we only had this technology, life would be wonderful. Because it's a very complicated system, and it's a system that was designed 100, 200 years ago and has been built incrementally, and it's not something that you can change overnight. As much as all, all of these people talking about software solutions would want you to believe it, there's a lot, bits and bytes are great, but there's a lot of concrete and steel that needs to get moved for our world to move forward here. But my favorite, again, if you do climate for long enough, you just get littered with just pieces of trivia. They're a lot really fun. And one of my favorite is the Texas grid was built in its current form in 1972 and was designed to last for 50 years. There you go. There's the map. 
Right. Talk a little bit about how you've got what seven? It's over seventy portfolio companies across all uh, across across all of SDG. Yeah. The vast majority of that is on the food and ag side. On the energy side, we've got eight. We're just got getting it. started. How do you monitor impact across those portfolio companies? Mm. Yeah, it's a really it's a really good point. One of the things that I can tell you is stay tuned. Monitoring impact in a way that it's consistent across portfolios is something that's obviously very, very important to investors. And look, there's this whole debate around ESG and greenwashing. There's lots of discussions actually at the IFRS level, at the SEC level that we're providing some input to as well, where we need to make sure that we're monitoring impact and we're doing it in a way where it's transparent and it's consistent and it's and it's also like verifiable to, to third parties that you're not sort of making making this stuff up as you go along. The big public markets, you know, you've probably heard of GFANS, big institutional investors, like very large asset managers have come together and have, have thought about this. There, there really isn't very much yet on the private side. And especially as you move from direct emissions to indirect emissions, scope three, all those, all those buzzwords, there really isn't anything on the private side yet. So we are actually working with a bunch of, of partners to think through that. So stay tuned. But it is something that is very important. And I think as an industry, it's something we really need to get right. Because if you don't get it right, and there is this sort of thought of, oh, it's just greenwashing and people are just making it up, it becomes very, very hard to recover from that. And so we're trying to be to, to work with our partners here to come up with, with a methodology that's very rigorous, but that's also very transparent. Got it. But it's pretty safe. Well, let's get you out here on this. I mean, it's been pretty safe to say that the organization has been sort of very low key over since its inception in, in, in 2014. Not a question directed at you specifically, but in general, what's the what are the advantages of firms like yours being more high profile? Clearly, you've just alluded to a collaborate a collaboration with other like-minded, large-scale, early stage funders to talk about standards and and measuring impact and the like. But what are some of the advantages that you see for firms of your scale in terms of being more high profile in what they do? Well, look, I mean, I think there's all kinds of different engagements, right? And you're doing it obviously for for the benefit of your portfolio companies and being able to attract new companies to your platform. There's also on the capital raising side, right? Like engaging with your LPs and getting more capital into the sector overall. That's also very important. I mean, look, the approach that we tend to take, we'd love for our portfolio companies to speak for themselves, and we're looking to amplify what they're doing. There's sort of others that that are maybe searching the limelight a little bit more. At the end of the day, for me personally, it doesn't really matter. Like what matters is that we get this climate transition right. And whether you scream it from the top of the mountain or or whether you just put your head down and get on with it, I don't really care as long as it gets done. And that's what that's what we're getting measured on, and that's what the opportunity is, and that's that's really what what everyone around here needs to needs to get done. And however they're doing, there's different styles, right? And we have ours. As long as there's more capital flowing into these companies, and these founder teams are being enabled to do the fantastic work that they're doing, more power to to, to them. Perfect. Stefan, thank you very much. We will have to do this again. There's so much more that we could explore with with this and everything that you're doing. And 
we missed each other in Chicago because we were both sort of we're sort of ships and ships running around. Mind. We'll do this in person very soon. Everyone, thank you very much for joining us. Everyone, thank you very much for joining, and we'll chat to you all soon. Stefan's just hang back and we'll we'll have a chat. Everyone, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Paul. Really appreciate it. Thanks to the Climate Transform team. 